Merry Christmas! And Happy New Year, early, early Happy New Year. Hopefully everybody had a great time over the um, holiday break. Um, we had a good time. We had um, Cookie and Jose over to the house, and Toya came over to the house too for dinner. Where's, there's Toya right over there. And uh, we had a really good time. Um, she got to understand our family a little bit better, so hopefully you'll come back again. <laughs> But um, uh, we did have a good time. Hopefully you had a, a good time as well. Uh, we are light this morning. People are still traveling out of town and on their way back into town, but that's okay. We'll still have a great time this morning. This is our last meeting of the year, as someone's already said already. And um, I think 2018, God has uh, blessed. He's blessed us. He's blessed the church. Uh, we've seen some... Cool things happened this year. The, the Robinsons went into the full-time ministry, and that's kind of bittersweet, right? Like kind of bad that they left, but awesome that, you know, Cincinnati gained them. Um, and Danielle went on the planting to the Lehigh Valley planting. The Torrances went on a planting to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, the Spearmans were raised up and appointed as deacons. And so great things have gone on within the region. Well, a lot of just internal growth and People rise into the call, and in each one of those situations, people have backfilled. So, you know, the Browns have backfilled with Jonathan and Leah, and then people have backfilled for them, and other people have raised up. I can't go through everything and everyone, but um, God has definitely strengthened his church, not just here in Tidewater, but throughout the Hampton Roads Church as well. Uh, this upcoming year, in 2019, our theme is going to be Life to the Full. And beginning next Sunday, we'll start to go through the Gospel of John. Obviously, we've gone through, the God, we've gone through Acts this past year. Um, but as we go through life to the full, we are going to be considering um, believing. Believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. And that leading to full lives in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to take the advice from the younger generation. We're going to have some hot topic midweeks. And we're going to talk about some of the more controversial things that um, our culture and society face today. We'll talk about, you know, homosexuality. We'll talk about race relations. We'll talk about marijuana. We'll talk about, you know, all, all this stuff that's going on that's out there. Vaping, you know, whatever. Tattoos, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, we will cover those things. Um, and, and we're really going to try to focus on what do we believe? What would Jesus' response be to some of these issues and how do we handle and tackle them as we go about our daily lives as well? Um, but if you could please turn with me to Acts chapter 28. <clears throat> and at the beginning of the year, we, we began a journey through Acts, starting with Jesus telling the apostles before he ascended that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. And he said that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this verse really set up the entire book. And it let us know from the beginning that it was, it was going to be about the Holy Spirit working through his disciples to spread the gospel to all nations. We've seen nothing less than that as we've studied this, really, a treasure from Luke. And as we've gone through the, the ministries of Peter and then we've gone into the ministry of Paul, 
Even after three missionary journeys throughout Asia Minor, Greece, and finally Rome. And now the book concludes here in Acts chapter 28 as Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And so after Paul's third missionary journey, let me just kind of set up where we're at because I'm skipping a chapter since the last time we, we got into Acts. After Paul's third missionary journey, he returns to Jerusalem to worship and to bring a benevolent gift to help the saints that were there. They were going through a famine at the time. And the Spirit had let him know in advance that trouble would find him there, but he chooses to go anyway. And when he gets there, he's involved in a series of, of uproars or disturbances, riots, if you want to call them, and trials as well before different Jewish and Roman officials. And so after they kept him up for, locked up for two long years, the Jews weren't able to prove anything against Paul. And since the Romans wouldn't let him go, Paul decides to appeal to Caesar. And the Caesar at the time, Caesar's a title, not a name, but the Caesar at the time was the Emperor Nero. And so on his way to be tried before Nero, um, Paul is in a shipwreck. And he's kind of marooned or stranded on an island. Crazy stuff goes on. Read about that in Acts chapter 27. And he finally makes his way to Rome. And Jesus had said that Paul would be his witness before kings. And it was coming to pass in Paul's life. I'm sure he didn't plan on it happening quite this way. But he is going to witness before Nero himself. And the gospel could not be stopped. And in this last chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit is using Paul to take the message of the gospel to the most powerful and influential corners of the Roman Empire. So please pray with me, and we'll get into this very last section here in the book of Acts. God, you are our mighty King, our sovereign Lord. You are our Heavenly Father. You're a loving God. You're good, and you're good all the time. Father, you, your mercy and your grace has showered upon us every day, even though many times we don't feel it because we're overwhelmed by guilt or we're attacked by the evil one. God, we know that your grace reigns supreme and presides in our lives. We're thankful for it. We're grateful for it. Help us to keep our minds wrapped around it. Help us to be encouraged by it each day as we move forward. And help us to always put our faith, our trust, and our confidence in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ, we know that it's only because of him that we stand before you faultless, blameless, pure, and righteous in your sight. It's not because of what we've done, but it's only been because of what Christ has done. Help us to take the message of the gospel. Help us to be used by your Holy Spirit, not just in 2018, but 2019 and beyond. Help us to hear what your Spirit has to say. Help us to have humble hearts. To follow and to go where he wants us to go. To be used according to your purposes. That's all we want to do. And Father, we know that along the way you will glorify yourself. You will glorify your name. As we close out this last section or chapter here in Acts. Father, help us to be inspired by what your spirit has done through so many disciples in the past. And may we be used in the same way. We thank you, love you, and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Acts chapter 28. Here we go. Beginning in verse 16. It says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. 
When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so we find that when Paul makes it to Rome, he's allowed to live somewhat comfortably in his own rented home, but he's under guard at the same time, and he has a soldier chained to him at all times. But that does not stop the Apostle Paul, and it does not stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. He invites over the local Jewish leaders. He has some hospitality. He probably had a little bit of food for him or something like that. Who knows? And he tells them this because of the hope of Israel that he's bound in this chain. And he's talking about, obviously, Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. Now, surprisingly enough, these guys hadn't heard anything bad about Paul. I mean, we know, we've read through Acts, and we've seen all the trouble that was stirred up because of Paul and his preaching. But somehow, some way, that word hadn't gotten back to the Jewish leaders in Rome. I don't know how that happened, but it hadn't. And so it sounds like they didn't have a, a, a preconceived notion. They didn't have a biased opinion about Paul at the time, and they were willing to listen to what he had to say. And so they came back a few days later with a larger group, and they were treated to a morning till evening, full-on tent revival, because Paul just kind of preached the word to him for the entire day. And there's two main things that he talked about that day. Verse 23, it says, He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses, from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And so the first point this morning, only two points, but the first one is the kingdom of God and Jesus. The kingdom of God and Jesus. Now, the kingdom of God was the central teaching of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. And the kingdom of God would have been on the minds of the Jews of the day at that time. 
Now remember, the Jews were God's chosen people. They had come from an ancestry and a heritage of King David, King Solomon, when uh, Israel ruled the day at the time. But unfortunately, uh, over the last, well, for them, thousand years after that, Israel had experienced a decline. But they knew from reading the Old Testament that there was always this hope out there of future glory, a future kingdom of God or the kingdom being restored to Israel at another time. And so they looked forward to that, but they didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. Now, there was conflict there because they knew that they were God's people. They knew they were supposed to be a part of this amazing kingdom. But they were under Roman rule. They were under Roman authority. And so you can imagine they probably thought, well, what gives, God? If we're your people and you're an awesome and incredible God, why do you have us weighed down, bound down, shackled up, chained up by the Romans instead of restoring us to this glorious kingdom? And so when Jesus came on the scene, much of his teaching and preaching was about this kingdom that the Jews were looking forward to. And this is where Paul begins As he speaks with the Jewish leaders in Rome. Now he would have explained different aspects and shades of this kingdom of God. I mean there's one aspect of the kingdom of God. Where it is all things in all creation. That is God's kingdom. Anything that God has made and that he rules over is his kingdom. There's also the future kingdom that is to come. That Jesus will rule and reign over. But then what Paul was primarily talking about probably was this spiritual nature and aspect of the kingdom, meaning God's rule and reign over the hearts and lives of those who choose to submit to his will. So here's an example. It's like Queen Elizabeth II, right? She's on the throne right now in Great Britain, and Her Majesty, if that's what you want to call her, she reigns over the United Kingdom and all of its territory. She is the monarch She is the sovereign. She is the current head of state. And all who are under her rule submit to her will, at least in theory. And wherever she has authority, that is her kingdom. So there's some Caribbean islands. Bermuda, well, they're not in the Caribbean, but they're kind of sort of considered a Caribbean, sort of considered a Caribbean island. Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, they are far away from the United Kingdom, okay? But since their governments submit to the queen, the queen has authority in the Cayman Islands. The queen has authority in Bermuda and other islands as well. She has reign there. And so when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about wherever Jesus is Lord, that's where his kingdom is. Does that make sense? And in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And if you read the older NIV translation, NIV 84, it says the kingdom of God is in your heart. And so there is an aspect of the kingdom of God that is spiritual. It it has no geographic borders, no geographic boundaries. There's no 10 foot walls surrounding the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of the heart. And it's a place where Jesus is king and things go according to his will. And inhabitants of his kingdom have certain responsibilities to surrender their lives in service to the king, to make the king's goodness, grace and mercy known.
far and wide or to promote the king. And they also gained the benefits of being part of his kingdom, just like being a United States citizen has its own benefits, right? Being a part of God's kingdom has its benefits as well. Forgiveness, freedom from sin and sin's power, protection from God's enemies, and eternity with the king. And so the Jews of Jesus' day thought the kingdom would be like, again, like it was in the days of King David. They were looking for a physical kingdom brought on by some military victory and overthrow of the Romans, and that their ruler would be this mighty conqueror. They thought that that's how things would be, but they missed it. Because you cannot say, here the kingdom is, or there the kingdom is. It's inside of those who are a part of it. And so we do have a mighty conqueror, but he didn't conquer by his human strength. He defeated his enemies through his humility. He won by his obedience. He didn't charge in on a stallion with a sword and, and a shield and a shiny armor and everything else. He, he rode in on a donkey. And he didn't just throw off the rule of the Romans. He did much better than that. He set his people free from the rule and the tyranny of sin and even death itself. If Jesus is Lord of your life this afternoon, you are part of his kingdom. Amen. You're called to the responsibilities of being a citizen, but you also get to share in the benefits. If Jesus is not part of your life this afternoon or not Lord of your life, you have no responsibilities to his kingdom. But you also have none of the benefits. And you remain under the rule of sin and death. Now, I don't know everything that Paul said to them in this meeting. I'm just trying to kind of reconstruct what he probably or might have said. But I'm sure that this is at least part of what Paul would have explained to them. He did go on to persuade them about Jesus. And Paul knew that you had to know and place your faith in the king in order to be a part of his kingdom. And so he went to the law of Moses and the prophets. He probably took them to some of the texts in the Old Testament that described the Jewish sacrificial system and, and showed how these sacrifices pointed to Jesus. He may have even taken them to Psalm 16, where David says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. And so both Peter and Paul had used this passage before to show the truth of the resurrection. Maybe he showed them Psalm 22. You ever read Psalm 22 before? Awesome psalm. But it describes death by crucifixion centuries before crucifixion was even invented. And in Psalm 22, 17, the psalmist writes and says, All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And surely Paul would have taken them to the writings of the prophet Isaiah, in particular Isaiah chapter 53, which describes the death of Jesus in amazing detail. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so he would have tried to explain to them that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled every single one of the over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And that Jesus is the one that the Jews had been looking and praying for for hundreds of years. He was the son of David. He was the son of man. He is the son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He offers peace, love, hope, forgiveness, and everlasting life to all who choose to believe in him and surrender to him. He is the gate. He is the way to become part of the kingdom of God. And there is no other way to gain citizenship. No amount of good deeds will earn you a spot. It doesn't matter who on earth you know or are related to. They can't put in a good word for you. Just because you're around the kingdom, enjoy the kingdom, contribute to the kingdom, or even know the national anthem of the kingdom, that doesn't mean that you're a part of the kingdom. You cannot be born into the kingdom. You must be born again. And so I'm sure that these are the things that Paul would have told those Jewish leaders that day. And he would have told them these things to persuade them about Jesus. Is it still okay to persuade people about Jesus? Because I think our culture now is kind of like, well, I'll just kind of put Jesus out there and you just kind of make your own decision. I'm not going to try to get you to think one thing one way or another. But Paul persuaded them. He put together some crafty, logical arguments. He probably put some emotional pressures on them. He may have even preached fire and brimstone to get them to wake up, to understand that, hey, you got to do something about Jesus. And it is okay to persuade people about the Son of God. But as usual, there was a mixed response. We see this over and over and over again in the book of Acts. You can never tell who will respond and who will not respond to the gospel. We just know that we just got to keep preaching it. Amen? Amen. Verse 24 says, Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And it's not that they didn't understand what Paul said. It's not that Paul wasn't a great and effective communicator. That wasn't the issue. They fully got it. They understood And they chose willfully to not accept what Paul was saying about Jesus. If Jesus is not your Lord, not your king, where do you stand this afternoon? After hearing what they heard, will you choose not to believe like they did? Or will you be convinced that Jesus is the only way? We encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus, to be born again to be part of his kingdom, and to enjoy the benefits.
Now, after service, we've got a, a team who's ready to do just that. Kaylin is going to be baptized this, this afternoon. And she's ready to make Jesus Lord and ready to be born again. But to those who chose to not believe, Paul quoted Isaiah chapter 6. And I'll read it again, beginning in verse 26. Go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. What's he saying there? He's saying, you just don't get it. Like, how many times does it have to be taught to you, preached to you, said to you, over and over? Like, how many dots have to be connected? How many prophecies from the Old Testament have to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the flesh for you to be humble and understand that he's the Messiah? Ever hearing, never understanding, ever seeing, never perceived, perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. May we never end up with hearts like that. That cease to hear the message of Jesus Christ and that cease to respond. This verse simply is talking about the good news of Jesus making its way uh, around the, the Jews of the day at the time and making its way to the Gentiles, to eager ears that would hear the message and listen eagerly. And all of us say amen because we're Gentiles. Point number two, the unchained gospel. Here in verse 30, this is how Luke ends. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's uncomfortably unfinished how Luke ends this book. It hasn't reached its peak. There's no resolve to the cliffhanger. I mean, what happened to Paul at his trial, like, I'm, I'm waiting to see what ends up happening to this guy. There's no, like, happy ending. It's just this kind of look forward into the future. Basically, Luke is saying, and the gospel just continues to move on. It continues to advance. Now, Paul is imprisoned in Rome from 60 to roughly 62 AD. And we know that from other sources that he did have his trial. And ultimately, he was acquitted and he was released. The early church historian Eusebius records that um, Paul went back out to preaching again and he made it all the way to Spain before he was arrested one more time, taken back to Rome one more time, and he stood trial again, but this time he was beheaded. And he died in roughly 66, 68 AD, and he was around 60 years old when he was martyred. But why does Luke end his gospel this way? Why is it so open-ended? Why is it so, I don't know, I just feel awkward when I read it because I just kind of feel like, but you're just not telling me the rest of the story. I think it's because he wanted to show that Jesus' work and the work of the Holy Spirit was still ongoing. He wanted to point to the work of the gospel that was still yet to be completed. And by how it's written, you get the sense that Paul's story wasn't about Paul after all. It was about the message of Jesus. 
And the kingdom of God and Jesus were proclaimed with all boldness and without hindrance. And even though Paul was chained, the gospel was still very much unchained. And Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit continuing Jesus' work through his disciples. That's how we began in Acts chapter 1. That's how we're finishing in Acts chapter 28. And the ending is open in a sense because Acts is still being written even 2,000 years later. The Holy Spirit is still working to spread the gospel. It's just not through the ministry of Peter. He's dead. It's not through the ministry of Paul. He's dead. It's through us. All of us that are here in this room, all of us that are in God's church worldwide today, it's still being written through us because we continue to take the gospel around the world and to the people that are around us. I believe that the need is greater than it's ever been to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that Virginia is the Bible Belt, but it seems like Jesus has become less and less popular here in Virginia. There's a lot less people that claim Jesus, that claim to follow Jesus, especially amongst the younger generation. Kind of the younger you go is the less kind of acknowledgement of Jesus Christ there is in their, in their lives. But the gospel message remains fresh. The fields are still ripe for harvest, and more people need to hear the gospel today than have ever needed to hear the gospel before. And I think there's been confusion as to what we're supposed to be doing in the church and who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. We wrestle with the questions of what is our mission What is our life's work? What are we trying to accomplish as the body of Christ? Let me just clarify for all of us, since this is the very end of Acts. Our mission is not to feed the poor or to end local or world hunger. That's not our mission. The church's mission is not to find a cure for cancer, heart disease, or other various illnesses. The church's mission is not to find employment for everyone, nor is it to find a spouse for everyone who desires one. Believe it or not, the church's mission is not to build healthy families. And you're like, blasphemy! That's not our mission. The church's mission is not to have a complete understanding of the Greek and the Hebrew, and the Old and the New Testaments, and have an answer for every question of doctrine that's out there. That's not our mission. The church's mission is not to build and rebuild marriages. It's not the church's mission to give you that loving husband or wife that you desire. And it is not to meet every emotional or mental health need. In Mark chapter 1, when Peter and the other disciples wanted Jesus to come and to heal more people, Jesus says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus came to seek and to save lost souls. And as he went, he supported marriages. He fed the hungry. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He comforted the discouraged. He gave great advice. And he had wonderful insight into the Hebrew scripture at the time. But make no mistake what his mission was. It was to seek and to save the lost. 
And the mission of the church is still the mission of Jesus, to seek and to save lost souls. And we'll do all of the other things along the way as well. Those are all great things, awesome things. I'm not discounting, not diminishing those things. Just saying they're not the mission of the church. Society is many organizations and businesses whose mission it is to do those things. We have trillions of dollars and endless man hours devoted to ending world hunger, to ending disease and sickness, to educating populations, to finding and creating jobs, to setting up websites and apps for finding your spouse or your next Tinder date or whomever it is. There's books upon books about building marriages and families, and there's many groups dedicated to healing mental and emotional pain. And these groups deserve the utmost recognition and support for what they do as their central focuses. But who else on planet Earth has the mission of reconnecting humanity with their God? Tell me, who has that mission if it's not for the church? Who has the mission of showing people the grace and the love of their very creator if it's not the church? There's no other group out there doing this, okay? They're not there. Over 18,000 people have died worldwide since we woke up this morning. And that's if you woke up late, if you woke up at 9 o'clock. 55 million people have died in 2018. And a similar amount will die in 2019. Some of them will be our friends. Some of them will be our family. Some of them will be loved ones. And the question that the church has to ask at the end of 2019 is not how many of that 55 million were good parents. That's not the question. The question is not how many of them survived cancer. It's not how many of them had food. How many of them got a job. How many of them found a spouse. The question we as the church need to ask is how many of those 55 million people were saved and were a part of the kingdom of God. That's the question. Now, Acts ends the way that it does because it's still being written. Even in 2018, going into 2019, that story is our story. The kingdom of God is still the city on the hill and the best place for mankind to be. And Jesus is still the way to get there. The gospel remains not only unchained, but unchanged. And the spirit of Jesus is still working to get not just the good news, but the best news out there to the world. And he's still using us to do it. In 2019, let's offer ourselves to the spirit to be used for the mission Jesus has entrusted us. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'll invite Kaylin and her family.